Hey, let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue our, um, our study in the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, these attitudes that Jesus starts off with. Really, uh, this idea of uh, when it says blessed there, the word really means happiness, and, but it's a different kind of happiness from the, what the world talks about. It's a deeper happiness. And uh, the word beatitude is a kind of a, a, a Latin term which you know, equates to the word blessed, and that's where we get the word beatitudes. But really, the, the attitude is, is that uh, it's not what we would expect. The way Jesus begins to teach and the, way, the things that he says, and they're not always going to go along with the way the world would say, this is the way to be happy. And the Bible makes it so clear that the way up is down. Just summarizing a little bit here. The way up is down. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 or 10, he said, whoever finds his life will what? Will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So you got to kind of think about those words. You know, we, it, you know, Jesus does things a little bit differently, and so we, we need to listen to him, and what does he have to say? Well, how do we find true happiness? Mankind has been searching for happiness for a very long time, right? How long? Well, depends on how old you think the earth is and, and uh, when Adam and Eve were created, because it began back then, didn't it? Searching for a way to get to find happiness, to find fulfillment. But it's always found in Christ. It's always found in a relationship with God. So, so you know, I've titled these, the, you know, How to Be Happy in Eight Easy Steps, but I put a question mark after it because it's not always easy, is it? Eight easy steps, no, it's not easy. But the Lord's always faithful to help us. He doesn't ask us to do something that He's not willing to help us do, empower us to do. If he asks us to do something, if he tells us this is the way, walk in it, then he's going to help us walk in it. Make sense? Yep. Okay, are you all with me today so far? Yep. Let's just look at the first four, just review. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, this is the way to be happy, to find happiness, to find blessedness. This is the place to start, he says, to be poor in spirit recognizing that we have no spiritual assets, that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we are utterly helpless, that we can't do it on our own. This is the only way, this is the only place to start, to find true happiness, where we humble ourselves before God and say, God, I got nothing. And he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is where we enter in his kingdom, where he becomes king. The second one, blessed are those who mourn. I could preach these all over again because they're so awesome, and, but we got to do the last four, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The true way to be happy, you know, that, that again, does that make any sense? To mourn, to grieve, to sorrow is the way to happy. One of the Psalms talks about, you know, weeping, uh, in the night and joy coming in the morning. The path to uh, joy coming through tears and sorrow and mourning and grieving, wailing, weeping. Sometimes we need to go through those, those periods and sometimes they're long periods where, where that's what we're, we're in this period of grieving for, for what's going on in our lives, grieving for our own sin. 
but he says they will be comforted. He never just leaves you there, you see. He doesn't just leave you at poor in spirit. He doesn't leave you at mourning. He says, they will be comforted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's, there's, there, you know, he does his part. He's always faithful. Blessed are the meek. And this again, this means to one who is willing to obey, willing to listen to God and to accept his way. And it's really all about surrender to God is what it's all about. But he says, they will inherit the earth. We surrender our uh, plans and purposes, and, and, but we receive the inheritance that he gives to us. And then the last one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I, I just can't get away from this, this hungering and this thirsting for righteousness that, that I want to be right with God and I want to be right with people and I want to do the right thing. This hungering and thirsting, you know, within the very depths of who we are for, for righteousness. He says, they will be filled. God will meet you and me when we're hungering and thirsting. He will satisfy us. These are the way to be happy, true happiness. Now, let's continue on in, in the second half of the Beatitudes and, and look at some of the other things that he talks about are, the, are in this pathway to happiness, these steps, these um, attitudes that will lead us to happiness. In verse 7, he says there, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here's something that kind of goes out now. Instead of something that's just within, there's a, a, a thing about us being willing to show mercy to other people. Those who show mercy to other people, really, it's, it's found and it comes out of the fact that we realize that we have received mercy. That you and I have received mercy. That God's been so merciful to you and I. That his mercies are new every morning. And so for us to, to like give other people a little bit of mercy, show them a little bit of a break. You think of the, the parable of the unmerciful uh, servant who was shown mercy. At Matthew chapter 18, we won't turn there, but he was shown mercy. And what did he do? He went out and he didn't show any to somebody else who owed him money. We have, we, we, as, as we understand like what God has done for you and for me, we'll, we'll be will, a little more willing to not be so judgmental of others and willing to show them a little bit of mercy. A little bit of forgiveness. A little bit of more compassion. And he says there, and, and this is another uh, very biblical principle, he says that the merciful will be shown mercy. In, in modern day terms is that, you know, what goes around comes around. In biblical terms, it's we reap what we sow. And that's a biblical principle. And if we are merciful to others, it comes back around to us. If we're forgiving to others, it comes back around to us. The, the, the summation of the golden rule, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. That's biblical. That's here. We'll find that. We'll read that. We find it in the later in chapter 6, the, the Lord's Prayer, where he taught us to pray. He said, forgive us our debts, what? As we forgive our debtors. There's later a, a, a verse that <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 6, after that, it says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You start to think about that, you know, being merciful. There's, there's a connection between how we treat other people and how our relationship with God is going, you see. You say, well, how does that work? If we're not forgiving other people, well, it's like it's creating a block between us and God. And God is saying, listen, I, I, you know, you're just as bad as they are. And, and you're, holding, you're withholding uh, my forgiveness by the fact that you're unwilling to forgive others. Forgiveness is such a very powerful, powerful thing. To be merciful, to forgive others. Because we've been forgiven. But when we don't, when we walk in unforgiveness, it puts this huge thing between us and God. It's huge. It's a huge wall. And Jesus said it here. He says that there, it actually blocks the forgiveness for our own sins by us being unwilling to forgive others. Sometimes, you know, people have hurt us so badly. People have done things to us and we say, I will never forgive them. I can't forgive them. But what I find is that, again, if God is asking us to be merciful, to be forgiving, to show compassion, he will help us to do that. And if we pray and, and ask him, help me to do that, he will help you and I to do that. I know I, I've seen it through the years where, where you know, I didn't want to forgive somebody and, and uh, you know, I just, I just knew that it wasn't right. But I began to pray for them, pray blessings on them, blessings on people who I didn't like. I didn't, I didn't like them at all. I was angry at them. I, I was unforgiving towards them. But, but when you begin to pray for that person and pray blessings on them, things begin to change. In them, maybe not. Where do they begin to change? Right in here. When we begin to pray and and, and show uh, forgiveness, compassion, mercy. It affects us, and it affects our relationship with the Father. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who show mercy, for they will be shown mercy. The way to happiness, or when, we, when we're giving these things out to others. The second one in our second half of the list here in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. This is probably one of the ones that is the most familiar, I think, of all of them. And it's an incredible statement that Jesus makes here. But he speaks about seeing God. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The pure in heart will see God. In biblical language, the heart is really at the very deepest core of who we are the heart of somebody it's not this you know organ that's beating in your chest it's at the very center of who you are in the very center of who you are he says that those that are pure in heart he says they will see god in the proverbs it says this above all else guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life the very center of who you are this is where it all kind of comes out of the very center of your spirit So when we read this, we have to kind of ask the question now, what's going on in the very deepest part of us? What's going on in there? What's going on in the very center of who I am and, and the, the, the very deepest part of me, the heart of who I am? Is there purity there? 
We say, well, gosh, I want to see God. I would love to see God. But the question is, what's going on within us? He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Is there purity there? Or is there pollution? I was thinking about that this morning. Now, let me, let me say this first, though. Does God expect, is God asking for us to be perfect, perfection within? No. That, that there would be no sin? You know, the, the Proverbs, again, they say, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? Who can actually say, well, yeah, I'm, I've arrived, I've gotten there. there. You know, through church history, there have been groups who, you know, get to this place where we are, gonna, we are going to arrive here in this earth, in this body. We're going to arrive at this place of sinless perfection where, you know, it's just all pure. Well, you know, as soon as you think you've gotten to that place, well, it's out the window anyways, right? Because you, you, you're... you're lying to yourselves. There's deceit going on. The Apostle John said that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, we know this verse, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we think that there's no sin there. If we try to say that, if we claim to be without sin, we're, we're living in deception. He says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive us, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. He will purify us, you see. So the, the question, blessed are the pure in heart, is there purity there? Well, no, it's, there's not perfection there. And you and I are sinners. We are sinners. And, and sin, you know, as soon as you start to think that you've got it down, something else hits you from a different direction, a different angle. And you go, wow, where did that come from? But, but the scripture says, if we confess our sins. So to, to, to arrive at this place of purity of heart, pure, pure in heart, there needs to be this, this washing. There needs to be this um, refreshing, this continually going back to the Lord and, and, and renewing and finding this place of, uh, of being at the foot of the cross. That's why we, we celebrate communion over and over again, because we need to go back and, and find ourselves there at the foot of the cross. David, you know, <clears throat> King David, he was, he was quite a, he was quite a man, but he was also quite a sinner, wasn't he? He blew it big time, big time. And, but he says these words in Psalm 51. He says, he says to the Lord, he says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart. Create in me a clean heart. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't go in there and say, well, I'm going to you know, just really wash it up really good and then I'm going to be able to see God. If I'm going to get pure within. It's not the way it happens, is it? David said, create in me a pure heart. Wash me. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. But when we, when we get to that place, he says that we will see God. We will see God. J. Vernon McGee, the, the old preacher, he said, what is your ambition in life today? Is it to get rich? Is it to make a name for yourself? 
Is it even to do something wonderful for God? He says, listen to me, beloved. You can almost hear him say that if you hear him on the radio, beloved. He says, the highest desire that can, that can possess any human heart is a longing to see God. A longing to see God. Do you want to see God? Do you want to see God? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When, when are you going to see him? Is this something only in the future? You know what? I think it's a, it's a here and now, and it's also in the future. It's both. We're going to see him now. We're going to see him at work in his creation. And we're going to see him at work in our lives. We're going to see him at work in other people's lives. But again, if our hearts are full of pollution, we're going to be wondering, why can't I see what God is doing? Why can't I see God at work in my life? Why can't I see God at work in, in any place? Because we're full of pollution. We're full of a, you know, the impurity. I... I'm convinced that, you know, this is probably one of the hardest ones to fulfill because of the impurity of the world around us. We're bombarded by impure images, impure uh, ideas and concepts day after day after day. I don't need to go onto the television bandwagon. I go there too often, you know, the stuff that the, the television is throwing at us, the impurity. It's not, it's not helping us in our relationship with God to be able to see Him. Hebrews chapter 11, it says that, that uh, they left Egypt, not fearing the, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger and anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He saw him who is invisible. God, God is there. And God is available. God is willing for us to see him. No, we're not going to maybe see a, a, a face, but you can see God. You can't see the wind, but you know it's there, right? Remember hearing that? Billy Graham talked about that. I want to see God. J. Vernon McGee says that the highest desire, again, I quote, that can possess any human heart is a longing to see God. Do you want to see God? Well, what's going on in the deepest parts of who we are, in our, in, in our heart of hearts? We're also, we're also going to see him, though, face to face in the future. In Revelation 22, at the very end of the book, it says, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. 1 Corinthians 13, it says, We see a poor reflection as in a mirror now, but we shall see him face to face one day. Here and now we can see God, but, but one day we're going to see Him clearly, completely, totally, fully, face to face. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 73, though, if you will, in connection with this idea. <clears throat> Psalm 73, verse 1 <clears throat> The question kind of comes out, we're not going to read the whole psalm, but the, the question that kind of comes out is, is it really worth it to, to have this purity of heart? Is it worth it? Is there, are there times when you kind of ask the question, is it really worth it what I'm trying to do here, to live differently than the world and to walk a different path? Look at verse 1. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, 
to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Look at verse 13. He said, surely in vain. He talks about, he talks about those in the world, how you know everything seems to be going their way. And he says, surely in vain, verse 13, have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Is it really worth it, this path that I'm on, to keep my heart pure before God? You look around at the world and you go like, wow, you know, they seem to be having a great time. They're happy as anything. But look, jump down to verse 16. He says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I, un- I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. He saw the final picture. He saw the big picture. Is it worth it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. He, he, you know, he says that in the very first uh, verse. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And God is good to you and I. If we want to see God, we, we can't look around at the people's lives around us and say, well, you know, it's, it's just the standard now. It's, it's the status quo. This kind of you know, behavior, these kinds of images, these kinds of attitudes. It's the, it's the norm. But is it the norm for those that are seeking to follow after God? For those who would want to see God? The writer of the Hebrews says these words. He says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. He says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. To be separate, to be distinct, to be different, to be set apart from the world. That's what holiness is. He says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That ties in with what Jesus said. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Make every effort. Let God do the work within you and within me. Number three, or number seven in the list, and found in verse nine there, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, those that are seeking to make peace, to bring peace. He says, They will be called sons of God. Why does he say about being called sons of God? Because it really reflects the heart of God. The greatest peacemaker. God is the greatest peacemaker there ever was. And you see, he, he made peace with us and there was a cost involved, was there not? And what was the cost? The cross. Great, a great cost. At great cost, uh, he made peace with you and with me and with the world. So he says, blessed are the peacemakers, those who would would like to find some happiness, true happiness. He said, those are the people who will be making peace with others. We live in a very, very troubled world, do we not? And peacemakers are needed urgently in this world that we live in. To bring peace with God, to bring peace with one another. Just in our own circles, you can think about your own families, your own Uh, places of employment, your schools, 
among your friends, in our church. You, you don't have to think very far to, to, to know there are people that are just not getting along. There's, there, there's, you know, division. But he said, blessed are the peacemakers, those that, those, those that would reach out, would step out of their comfort zones to, uh, at cost, try to help bring people together. Think about in the home, you know. Starts in the home and, and what's going on in there. I read about, you know, uh, somebody asked, you know, were there, were there never any um, problems in the home? And, and I guess there was a gal that raised her hand and, and she said, no, never any problems in my home. And, and, and he said, well, that's kind of surprising. And, and he asked her, well, who do you live with? But she lived by herself. But you know what? I was thinking about that too. And, and the fact is, is that we can be, in, 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 and I have a quote here that someone said that every man is at least to some extent a, a walking civil war. So, you know, we, we've got this, this peace that we need to make with people, but also peace within ourselves between us and God. In the home, in the family, the conflict are we willing to, to make every effort to live in peace? Are we, are we willing to help restore relationships? You know, it's, it's like uh, it's so much easier just to look the other way, isn't it? You see there's something going on there. It's so much easier just to say, I don't want to get involved. It's too, it's too messy. It's too difficult. But Jesus said this is a, one of the ways to happiness. True happiness is to be a peacemaker, to help restore these relationships, to help break down the walls. James said, peacemakers who sow in peace, they raise a harvest of righteousness. They raise a harvest of righteousness. Again, we put efforts into these things. We sow in peace. Something's going to come back out of it. But if we never, if we never get involved and never try, we never, you know, get want to to see and help somebody along that path, we're never going to see anything happen. I, I, you know, and it's difficult. I know within families, you know, uh, I know families, you know, that they, you know, members haven't talked to each other in 20, 30 years, and that is that sad. That's a travesty, and, and maybe it's beginning to develop in your own family, and, and, and are, are you in, are willing to, to be used by God to bring about peace? This verse in Colossians says that God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, in Jesus, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross again the greatest peacemaker but 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 what we really need is jesus involved in our lives and our situations maybe it's not you know witnessing to them maybe it's not sharing you know the gospel of jesus with them and and maybe sometimes it is because truly that's the the road to peace is through the cross through jesus christ but maybe it's just praying Praying that Jesus would work in these relationships. I can think of relationships in my own extended family where, where people are not talking to one another. And, and to pray for them is something I need to do. 
Bring Jesus into it. The last beatitude here. Persecution. Look at verse 10. Blessed are those. Oh, how happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He kind of goes back around to the beginning, to the where it all started there in, in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the way to happiness, to be persecuted, that, that, that someone would, in fact, persecute you, persecute you. Well, the truth is that living for God doesn't mean that everyone will love you. Living for God does not mean that everyone will love us. Of course, the fact of the matter is, is that we want everybody to love us, right? I wish you'd smile because I think you don't love me right now. I'm just, you know, I'm feeling it. The truth is we want everybody to like us, right? But they, they won't always like us. And so, you know, to, to take this attitude that we're not going to compromise, I'm going to live for God no matter what. Paul the Apostle said that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Makes me wonder about my own life sometimes, you know, if I'm not facing any kind of persecution whatsoever, maybe I'm not really walking and living the godly life that God would have me to live and walk. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I'm just compromising. Maybe I'm just going along with what everybody else is saying and thinking and doing. To be persecuted if, if, we, if we are truly living as God wants us to live. Now that's not to mean that, you know, we just become obnoxious or become really weird. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about living and following Jesus Christ, having a, a relationship with Him in the deepest parts of us that spills out and, and we can't get away from it. That's not like being just so, you know, foolish and disobedient and, 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 and receiving persecution because of that. No. Look at verse 11. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you, they persecute you, they falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of me, because of Jesus. Because Jesus is in your life and people can see him. People know there's something different about you, but some of them, they don't like it. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. You know, some of these kinds of verses I read, these rejoice and be glad when you're being persecuted, when people are lying about you, saying bad things about you. Well, as long as they're not, you know, true... If they are true, then what do we need to do? Repent. Repent get it together. Get it right. Go back to the cross and, and confess and, and get our lives right with God if they are true. But if they're not true, he says to rejoice and be glad. 
Because great is your reward in heaven. In other words, your reward isn't going to be always here. If everybody likes you here, well, maybe that's your reward. But he says your reward is in heaven. And some of the things we're going to get are, are, are to be delayed until we get to the other side. Rejoice and be glad because Jesus is in my life. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you all also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus, rejoice and be glad. The apostles, they were persecuted. It says they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. It was because of Jesus. If it's because of us, that's the obnoxious part of it, right? But if it's because of Jesus in our lives, he says, rejoice and be glad. Your reward's coming. It's not here. If we, if we want it all here, well, maybe we'll get it all here, but I'd rather have it there, I think. Wouldn't you? It says, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you throughout history. For, from the Old Testament to the New Testament to today, Throughout history, people have been persecuted for their relationship with God. So the question I want to finish this beatitude here is for you and for me is are we willing, are we willing to live for Christ? Are we willing to die for Christ? I'm not sure if it's harder to live for him than it is to die for him of those two. I think both are difficult. But are we willing to live for him that that even if it means that people won't be happy with us, they don't like us because we don't go along with them and in, in whatever they're involved in. I remember uh, working in a factory. I, I spent many years working in factories and, and you know, hanging out with the guys and, and having lunch together with them. But it, it seemed like this happened like every single day we'd eat and then as soon as they stopped eating, they'd start talking. And they'd, they'd go on the stories and the jokes and everything else. You know what? And I just, I, just, I just got up and left. They were my friends. I liked these guys, but I got up and left. And now some of them, they probably didn't understand that. They, you know, they, they thought of me in a strange sort of way. You know what? But, but it wasn't healthy for me to just sit there and take it all in. Are we willing to live for Christ? Are we willing to die for him? These attitudes, these choices, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These attitudes, these character pursuits, these are the pathway to blessedness, to true happiness, not the things of the world. God help us. God help us as we seek to live his way. That's my prayer. Shall we pray together? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to make peace through his blood shed on the cross. And Lord, this list of attitudes, Lord, they're way, way beyond us. And, and so my prayer is, Lord, you'd help us to be those people who display these things.
by your spirit within us, by your power within us. We, we humble ourselves and, and, and like the, the very first beatitude and we, re, we recognize that we have not got it within us to be what you've called us to be. So we humble ourselves and say, God, we lose our lives that we might find it. We might find it in you. God, help us. Help us when we go out in this world. Help us, Lord, to live for you. Help us to be the people, the men, the women of God. Despite what people might say or think. For God, we want to reflect you. We want people to see you. Think of the apostles who at one point people it said they recognized that they had spent time with Jesus. People could see it. Father, may that be true with us as well, that we spend time with you and people can see it and they say, wow. Or maybe they say Jesus freak or something negative. But just that they might see Jesus. That's what we pray, Lord. Help us, Lord, we pray. I pray for each and every person here and their personal heart of hearts, lives that need you each and every day. I pray that you would be there, Lord, and you'd, you'd meet them today at their point of need. Maybe some don't know you at all. Today is like a mystery, what we're talking about. I pray you'd show them that you love them so much and you want to be a part of their lives and, and all they need to do is open their hearts and surrender and say, Jesus, Please come into my life and receive the reward of your, of your sacrifice, of, of just my heart being open to you, because that's what you desire. Thank you again for this beautiful day, Lord, and guide us and keep us, Lord, in your hands, in your special loving care. In Jesus' name we pray.